Hey guys, I'm not entirely sure where we are right now. My phone died. I'm so sorry. So like to plug the phone into the sound effect machine and to get the sounds from the computer and stuff requires the power cord to be used, right? So you can't charge at the same time, but I have like the power platform that you can put the phone on, but if it gets jostled at all off of it and my phone had really low juice, it will just not be charging and die. And so that happened and I apologize. I am trying to both supercharge it right now. You can hear the quality is probably not as good because I'm not talking through the microphone. And also had the idea to go ahead and uh, do a live stream at the same time since I have my camera set up for um, tomorrow's broadcast anyway. So I'm about to go live on Twitter for a while while my phone is charging up if you guys want to have a viewing experience um, as for a kind of raggedy that's Jewakali and that's what's coming to mind right now. That's what I feel like is happening, kind of handmade, thrifted by the city of your pants. That's what we're doing. That's what's going on. I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate your patience. Um, let me get Katie back in the mix. Uh, where'd you go, Katie, 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 Katie helps. There she is. Sorry about that, Katie. Was that Sorry. me or you? No, that was completely me. It's oh, okay. completely worry. entirely me. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to let it uh, charge a little bit before I switch back to plugging my soundboard in. Um, Got it. But I could yeah, have, I could have the mar uh, martini. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just saying it's maybe time for another martini. <laughs> Someone in the chat says they're blaming your very watery martini for all of this. Let's go ahead and take some callers while I get my um, situation situated. Uh, Schnauzer, you're up. What's on your mind this evening? Unmute yourself, Schnauzer, and talk to us. Oh, I have nothing to say to follow that up. So good luck, everyone. <laughs> okay, thank you, Schnauzer. Nick, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, um, I have a, a take that's probably really stupid, but I do just want to run it by you. Probably not. I'm sure it's a great take. There's no that's... such thing as stupid takes, only stupid owners. Right? You're very kind. Uh, <laughs> so I, part of me thinks with this whole uh, Dave Weigel's thing and the uh, discourse around whether or not, like, uh, woke culture has kind of seen its end. My personal view on it, what I think is honestly happening is uh, woke culture and basically anything kind of adjacent to the Democratic Party and liberalism and the whole media sphere that kind of surrounds it and everything that kind of panders to this audience or these donors or kind of embraces these cultural signifiers... I think it all sucks right now for the same reason that right-wing culture has sucked for decades. It's because it's just shrouded in, like, astronomical levels of self-seriousness. And no one wants to have a sense of humor about anything anymore. And I feel mm -hmm. like part of what happened was, especially with the 2016 Bernie movement, and I, I think, <laughs> again, this is a crazy take, but part of me thinks why it was so successful in retrospect and why so much of the cultural landscape felt that it had to change uh, in direct response to it is that we were, we're all having so much fun 
in 2015 and 2016, making fun of everybody for uh, having politics that were at odds with Bernie Sanders, who obviously had the best and most compassionate political views of, you know, anyone in any sort of mainstream allowable discourse. And I, I think what we're all just kind of mired in is this crazy overcorrection to basically equate any fun associated with having the right politics as like literal misogyny and fascism. I mean, I, I hear that take, but don't you also think there is, do, does that mean that there is nothing that you would characterize as misogynistic about some of this stuff? I yeah. just think it, it was unfair. Like just even being in my position of, having to constantly defend, you know, my, my newfound political beliefs in that landscape of there was kind of a bad faith reading of everything that you were doing or embracing or saying. And at one point I had to kind of cut through all of it, realize that I, I couldn't take it all seriously to kind of actually hold true to my political beliefs. I don't really know what's what anymore, just because I encountered so much of something that was clearly meant to kind of derail the movement and it made me actually very suspicious of what were actual sincere uh i i don't know i'm doing a bad job articulating this but but i just remember being surrounded by so much stuff that like constantly had me on the defensive and on my back foot and at some point i had to kind of just stop entertaining the notion that what i was doing was like literal fascism and sexism for going along with a, a particular political ideology and set of beliefs. So it sounds like you're talking very spe specifically about the 2016 era, Gloria Steinem saying that you're only with Bernie because you're for the boys kind of world. But presuming that we're a little bit past that and that even a lot of liberals are open to the commodification of identity politics and we're here in Pride Month where there's a rainbow plastered on every missile and bank in America that even liberals can appreciate that that's like a take. And I don't think we're getting as much of that, like you're with Hillary or you hate women vibe. You know, in this space, and when, we're, when it's now being feminism and like the you know, women's rights are being framed in the context of the Me Too debate and the abortion debate and the ongoing, you know, attacks on trans rights and the trans, tran I don't want to characterize it as the trans debate, but you know all that's happening. I, I know, it's just, I, I think that some things that aren't really attacks have been characterized as attacks, like, really unfairly when, like, again, hot take, but, you know, like, the whole Dave Chappelle thing and the discourse surrounding it, really, I, I mean, th throughout that whole special, the overwhelming impression that I was getting is that, you know, just, just making fun of certain things and certain ironies surrounding the certain cultural moment and basically the people that like really went out of their minds about it, like could not take even the slightest bit of jokes about well, themselves. You're, you're going to have to be more specific, um, Nick, because certain things, there's a wide variety of things in the special you could be talking about. And certain things I don't think were, um, I don't think they were overreactions to, I think it's perfectly fair to find some of the really visceral jokes about people's genitals and stuff that he made in the special to be offensive regardless of whether or not you were personally offended. I don't think there's like a lot of, it's like with a Dave Weigel joke, there's not really an argument about whether or not it's sexist. It's just whether or not you think it's kind of within bounds in terms of humor, which is supposed to be offensive. 
but like the jokes that, you know, I don't, there's only really a, a debate about whether or not what Dave Weigel, uh, sorry, Dave Weigel, sorry, Dave Chappelle was joking about was offensive and at the expense of trans people. Well, I, I just do think that maybe the right wing is having their cultural moment right now because they are at least embracing kind of an, an outward facing persona that, I mean, obviously they're all incredibly uh, self-serious, even though they pretend they're not, but at, at least they're kind of signaling to some sort of cultural acceptance of thinking anything's, you know, funny or a little bit irreverent. And uh, I don't know, the left side is, the mainstream anyway has lost it. I mean, say what you will about like Jimmy Dore or the Come Towns or the Chapo Trap Houses of the world, but at least they're having a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's mostly like the cultural backlash is people being jealous that they can't. Well, Katie, let's get you in here. You're a comedian. Do you feel like, you know, when we were coming up, when we were in college, the narrative was that it was the right that was so bad at humor. They tried to have several kind of right-wing versions of The Daily Show, and they all failed because they were all too self-serious. And we thought that we own that province. Do you think right. that it's true now that we've suited that ground to the to right because we are, are not able to be self-effacing? Like self-deprecating or... hmm Yeah, I mean, I think that there is some of that. Like, there is some... I don't know. This is such a... a, a what's the word? A can of worms. But uh, I do think that there are... Uh, people can be very sensitive and overreact to things, obviously. Um, Certain things are just totally off limits. And then I think people overreact, which then actually makes their, creates a kind of backlash effect. Um, I hear what um, Nick is saying about the lack of humor on our side and the lack of fun or joy, because there was that with Bernie and we haven't had that in a while. Um, now, of course, Bernie also had this righteous anger that was galvanizing. Um, but, Katie, it wasn't like Bernie was, like, a, a gaggle of laughs or anything. He wasn't exactly, I think, the kind of levity that Nick is describing that once existed. And you No, know, but the- he was very memeable. Like, he wasn't doing that, but he was, he was, like, unintentionally funny. Like, perfect and- example, the James Adomian impressions of him that took yeah, off. Right. The James Adomian thing, the thing with the birdie that was adorable. Um, him just being very direct in a hilarious way, not intentionally hilarious. Well, I, I would argue that there's something that's kind of um, very different about memeing Bernie and let's say a Dave Chappelle sketch. That oh yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, yeah. The, the argument is that the the reaction to Dave Chappelle is evidence of the fact that the left has lost its sense of humor. Do you agree with the, with that argument? Oh, or is Dave Chappelle kind of the focus of legitimate ire? I mean, I actually think the, the the problem with Chappelle's special was that just from an artistic standpoint, it was too triggered and def- ironically, it was too defensive, which made the whole thing feel like a kind of like, oh, poor me. Woe is me. I'm such a martyr. I'm going to I'm going to hit back at these people. How dare they? Well, let me just point to one joke is, is kind of the meat of what I'm getting at, which is his joke about, like, Caitlyn Jenner being named Woman of the Year within a year of being officially a woman. Yeah. And, and the irony surrounding that, that's, that's a joke that people were uncomfortable laughing at. But on some level, you kind of get what he's saying, because there has been this kind of feminist movement that really, like, you know, drag, <laughs> drag kicking and screaming through 
a degree of progress. And now there is this new cultural moment that immediately like sidesteps all that work to like put its cultural place within it. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong or worthy of derision, but it is kind of a a, a hilarious irony that, that you're kind of glad somebody bought, brought to the forefront so that you can at least like think about it. Okay, well, I'm bringing Rika up. Sorry, Rika, I don't mean to make you like have to be the spokesperson for trans people, but you know, to the extent that you're interested in weighing in on this, I see you in the chat. You know, wh- what, do, what do you make of, of Nick's point? Yeah, I think, uh, well, okay, so I'm, I have very complicated feelings about all of this. To me, I think when we're drilling down on jokes, I think you, ha- if you have to, ex- what is the joke? Like, what is that joke? Like, to me, when I hear that joke, and I'm going to be clear, I don't, I mean, I don't identify as a trans woman specifically. I'm in that broad trans community. But I, when I hear that joke, there's two things happening. And we can both be honest about the fact that there's a ridiculousness around, like, Caitlyn Jenner's celebrity and gravitas that she gets this position of, privilege and esteem or recognition when the for me trans community doesn't even accept her I think that there's like something funny about that Mm. but then there's the piece about it from Dave Chappelle's perspective that is about delegitimizing her as a woman right in that and I think you have to be honest about that when you're talking about that joke right so like to me I I don't accept the fact that the left is a humorless and can't take jokes or whatever. It's that like, yo, like you got it. You're, if you're the one that's making the joke and you aren't making people laugh, like you have to, you have to figure that shit out. You know, like you, you, if there's a reaction coming from people, you have to be able to articulate what that joke is. Like who's in on the joke is, it shouldn't just be assumed. Right. And I say this because I also like, I've done drag been in the world of drag and drag queens can be notorious notorious for making real off-color jokes right and and there are certain spaces where that's kind of sanctioned certain spaces where it's not but there's also like the way that some people make jokes is that there there is self-deprecation involved or there's a way where those people are in on the joke right so i i think I'm just not bought on the whole idea that the whole left and everyone on the left um, is humorless and doesn't understand comedy and all of a sudden everyone's um, uptight and can't take jokes. Like, you know, we're all out here making fun of ourselves. I think, you know, and I know people have got a lot to say about Natalie Wynn, but Natalie Wynn makes great self-deprecating humor. She's contrapoints for those who don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Yeah, I just think some people have, you know, if they're not laughing and then they expect you to kind of explain the joke and it's all of a sudden like, oh, you're actually making fun of trans people. Well, you probably got a problem there, you know? Well, like, but- I, I, I do think that there's something to that. I think that there is. So if I recall the joke correctly, Nick, Dave Chappelle's punchline was kind of like, you know, women have been waiting in line and here comes, you know, the, quote unquote, the newest woman. And I know I'm just... I'm not saying this. I'm saying what Dave Chappelle was saying. And she, you know, cuts to the front of the line. And the idea is that he's kind of like defending the, the, the problem with the joke I think that some people had with, was that he was defending quote unquote 
real women against this kind of newly minted woman, right? And that is a joke that makes people uncomfortable because of the idea that it's saying that there's a hierarchy of women and trans women aren't, aren't at the top of it. On the other hand, I think Tarika's point that there is a legitimate critique of Caitlyn Jenner because of her personal politics, because of the, uh, you know, the enormous amount of privilege she's had and the visibility she's had in the course of her transition, her access to gender affirming care and surgery and all those kinds of things, despite taking political positions that would make it more difficult for other people to receive said care, where there is a discomfort even within the trans community about her. And the joke could have easily been crafted differently to accommodate that angle while still, you know, you know, making fun of the idea or like making getting humor out of the idea that Caitlyn Jenner gets to, you know, she gets to cut to the front of the line and that's unfair because she has all these privileges and she's conservative, not because there's a such thing as a real woman and a fake woman. That could make the joke still land and everybody, you know, everybody would laugh. It's not that the joke is humorless or that you can't have jokes about trans people. I mean, what do you make of that, Nick? I'm... This isn't even really quite the point that I'm getting to because, yes, there's endless nuance that you could bring to anything to just kind of be as as nuanced and sensitive as you could possibly be in kind of delivering a humorous observation. The big thing that I'm just kind of pointing to that I think is correct on some level that maybe some degree of introspection uh, we should all have about is is the idea that a joke like that is the literal equivalent to, like, violence. Which, and, and I know that that's the caricatured right. version of that response, right. but, it, but it did happen. People did react that way. And I just, and, you know, Katie's talked about things like this, even with, like, or, and you've talked about this, too, on Someone's Wrong on the Internet, that there are, like, even just talking about, uh, you know, sexual impropriety, there, there is a spectrum. Somebody can kind of, you know... Uh, have some sort of transgression that's not quite at the level of Harvey Weinstein, right. but the cultural flattening yes. makes it all the exact same level of intensity. And I think there is, I, I mean, not the sound, I know that this sounds reactionary, but it's like the best way that I can kind of articulate this point. But I think there is something to be said about long-term left inclusivity and longevity for like not reacting that way to every single thing. Right. I I agree with you, Nick. I think, but I don't think the issue is about sensitivity per se. I think it's about how we have a lot of younger people in yeah. our movement who do not have um, experience in a lot of different ways in organizing or around, and quite frankly, don't have... Um, kind of a diverse range of experience with violence or harm and oppression in a way that they are able to like disaggregate the nuance around like, you know, what is violence, what is abuse, what is harm. And so they're instead there, there's like a theoretical orientation toward it and it gets ex all wrapped up that everything, including discourse is the same as, you know, being bombed or being shot at in a club. Right. You know, and I think, so I, I agree with you there, but I, I just, to me, it's not so much about, it's not so much that people are, I think people are doing their damn best to try to understand the complex world of oppression and how it operates. But when we get into political spaces or when we're in, or even artistic spaces sometimes too, we, we there's a conflation of all that and a flattening of everything. And I think that, and I think you're right about that. And I see that a lot in, in a lot of, like, you know, to Ryan Grimm's piece that came out, 
you know, there is a lot of chaos that ensues, especially in like social justice nonprofits where people are accusing people of doing harm when it, it, it may not be the kind of harm and or to the degree of which they're purporting it to be. So I, I do agree with that. And there so, is something I think that there is like, we can also be honest that there's something because I used to be like this, there's something satisfying about being self-righteous and being a scold, which mm-hmm. I actually think is very dangerous for the left. Um, but we, I think, have to be honest about that, because it's a, it's, it's a, who, someone came up with this term, it was like, poison, solid, poisonous solidarity or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, I mean, that's slightly different, but somewhat related. It's like, when you think you're being in solidarity, you think you're speaking truth to power, and you may actually be doing it in a way that is, counterproductive because I also think we have to remember like we're not a huge movement mm-hmm. and part of the problem is when we're all in a, in a room together we kind of forget that like when we're working with other people who are whatever you want to call them radical progressive whatever word leftists um I also do want to say I'm wearing a lady bunny t-shirt if people don't care <laughs> and um she's definitely really irreverent and there are a lot of young Absolutely. people who are uncomfortable with her stuff and that and you know so I think we can admit that with all, while at the same time admitting that some jokes are just not funny. Well, but, I want to uh, pause, pause everybody a second and go live. We are, we are now gone, gone live on YouTube as well if people want to have a visual experience in addition to the audio experience. I started this room when the call-in cut out and decided let's just go with it anyway because I had this whole setup done because I thought I was doing an interview today that fell through. So welcome to the YouTube crowd. I am here on the line with Katie Halper. We were talking about today's episode of Bad Faith Podcast, but as call-in conversations tend to do, we are also talking about humor on the left. Have we lost it? You know, does the world that we lived in when I was in college in the early aughts where the left owned humor and we had the Daily Show and we were ruling the airwaves and the right couldn't compete, is that world over? Are we humorless skulls? Is there something in the appeal of the bimbos of TikTok and the, you know, Joe Rogans and the Jimmy Doors of the world and the Red Scares of the world that we need to be paying more attention to? Is there a way to be humorous without feeling like it's at the expense of various uh, interest groups that should be at the core of the base of the the solidaristic left movement. We're talking about it all. I'm so glad that Katie joined the chat. Yeah, me too. And I'm also appreciating the commentary from frequent call-in participant, Rika. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and so, Nick, do you feel like... And I, I, I don't want to keep you up here for very oh, much Oh, no, I would much rather you moved on to the next caller. <laughs> okay. Well, we appreciate you calling in, Nick, and we will take Andrew as the next caller. Andrew, unmute yourself and let us know what you think about all of this or about what you thought about today's episode. Hey, um, well, I thought today's episode was great because I finally figured out whatever the hell was wrong with my Patreon so I could listen to the whole thing, (laughs) including all the spicy parts that you're happy are partially hidden. Um, I I actually wanted to ask a little about um, uh, Crystal Ball. (laughs) I thought that was a good performance on Bill Maher's show. I, I agree generally with your characterization. Um, but I, I also share like some of the critiques that I've heard recently from various left spaces about breaking points and their new incorporation into sort of a left ish, uh, like left center left network. Um, I think that both of you, you and Katie do an excellent job bringing a lot of different people on, 
Um, I frequently say how I think, I, I don't know what, you, if you think that your background in law actually plays in a lot into your style, but I think the way that you uh, kind of like interrogate everybody's ideas, uh, I think, it, I think it, it, it works really well to kind of bring in lots of people. I wonder, would you two, uh, consider doing like a network? Would that be, would you think that's productive or do you feel like you probably overlap a lot in viewership like myself? Um, and what are your thoughts on Crystal's network? Cause like, I think it's good to give her a lot of props for, um, the, the showing on Bill Maher. I thought it was again, very, very well spoken. Uh, but also I've been getting really tired of like the really virulent anti China takes on breaking points and, oh, and yeah. some of the, Anyway, so that's that's my question. Yeah, I can't speak to I, I'm not I'm not I don't watch regularly enough. I mean I obviously watch semi regularly, but I can't say that I've caught every segment that everyone has, you know, an issue with. I do know that obviously it's a show that that selling point is its ideological diversity. You know, Sagar doesn't, you know, pretend to be a leftist. He is on the right, Crystal's on the left, and that's kind of the whole point of the thing. And so I'm not, you know, there are going to be times, obviously, when there are takes and radars or, um, you know, direct-to-camera essays that the left isn't going to agree with by nature of a show like that. And I also think that part of what the left is going through right now with some of the infighting that's happened this week is the idea that there isn't a lot of room for ideological flexibility on the left despite it being small. So my personal view is that I'm inclined to not personalize disagreements, ideological disagreements until they become pretty significant. And people can feel differently about that. I know that I have been accused of having quote unquote associates <laughs> on the left that, you know, I'm, I'm tagged as bad by association, wherein I've disagreed with them publicly. I've disagreed with them on my show, but I still find a lot of value in their work and know that they're out there proselytizing my, bro you know, 85, 95% of my worldview to a broad audience. And I'm happy that they're doing that. And other people think you need to call people out and, and kind of like police these kinds of lines. And I, I respect that position, even if it's not my own. Katie, how, how do you think about the idea about of like participating in a broader left network where you aren't necessarily ide ideologically aligned entirely? Well, is Breaking Points a broader left network? I thought that they're, they're I mean, their shtick is that they're bipart they're both, right? Their whole thing is that they're a populist, ideologically populist in a way that spans the left and right. Well, I think what he's referring to is that they have partnered with um, Status Coup and David Sirota and the, the Lever. Right. And are kind of boosting sm smaller accounts to try to get more eyes on them, which, right. I, you know, I, I have a hard time criticizing that. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'm missing from that is the Katie Halper show. And, <laughs> and hey, I mean, yeah, did they reach out to both of you and you said, no, I just couldn't associate myself? No, I, you know, Chris, it wasn't like formal, but we, we have talked about the idea of me doing a segment or repurposing some of my segments for uh, Breaking Points. The limitation is my own bandwidth and that I can't get it together. Not Certainly not any ideological barrier to doing so. I, I think it's really, frankly, very generous of Crystal to try to use her platform to boost other smaller accounts, given what the algorithm is. And again, have a hard time seeing what the problem is, especially since there's certainly no ideological policing of said accounts. 
if Jordan or uh, David Sirota had some substantive agreement or had a different take, I'd have a hard time imagining that Crystal would be like, absolutely not. That's too left. That's too radical. I disagree. I mean, the whole point is to have be able to have the kind of diversity within the left that makes it interesting the same way. I think that the right right now has ideological diversity that makes watching you know Fox News and even these nightly shows more compelling than watching MSNBC because Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, I might not agree with either of them, but they also don't agree with each other on a lot of things. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely haven't just like abandoned any, any value or, or worth. Like I, I don't think that breaking points is worthless at all because of any one issue or not. I just found myself watching it less because I think where I did find myself thinking, wow, that's a good take or something I hadn't quite heard of before or a different perspective. I, I found like, honestly, listening to either of your shows or a couple other places on on just online media, it doesn't even have to be super left. Uh, I just found it more compelling, uh, better better articulation. But then, like you mentioned, Crystal can go into some of these spaces having had a background on MSNBC, which gives her some kind of credentials with people like Bill Maher, I guess. Um, that's super useful. So anyways, I, I just wonder, would you, would, would both of you, I mean, yeah, you already do like five shows. So maybe I'll just drop it. But <laughs> What's that Katie? I'd love to be part of something bigger. Like yeah. I mean, we've we... talked about that on this show yeah. before. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's grind. Yeah, I mean, I disagree with a lot. Obviously, the China stuff, I hard disagree with Saga on that. Mm-hmm. But um, what where I think I disagree with my left fellow leftists is that I don't think that I don't believe that like in the idea that I wouldn't go on a certain show or you know a lot of people are criticizing us for being on Colin because I don't even know if this is true. I probably should verify this, but like <laughs> maybe they the people behind Colin are the people behind Chase Boudin's recall. Mm. And if that's true, then I'm glad I'm taking their money because I'll have <laughs> on my show. Um, so good, good on them for you know, or good on me for getting their money so I can put it to a good place. But um, I don't like. I went on the the hill, like on Rising this mm. last week. A lot of people are like, "Oh, Rising, it's like run by the right wing." But I put, I talked about this crazy censorship story related to Matt uh, to whoops to Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate. <laughs> that got it more exposure than like ever before. And I'm really glad that I was able to do that. And th- mm-hmm. these are they're like anti-imperialists. Mm-hmm. That's how I would find them who have been smeared um, by these, you know, pseudo left gatekeepers who literally want to, well, you were there Brie, cause I talked yeah. about with you and Ron. Yeah. So <laughs> I was also I, there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think that, that sometimes the, I, I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine with compromises that gives more exposure and not just because it's good for me. I mean, it's primarily because it's good. I wouldn't, if I were getting exposure on right-wing networks that didn't let me tell, share left-wing stories mm-hmm. about censorship, I wouldn't do it. That would just mm-hmm. be craven. Mm-hmm. But I do it because I actually think it gives me access to bigger audiences with stories that are important. Yeah, this, this was the thing. And this is why I really loved the conversation I was able to have with Glenn Greenwald and um, Nathan Robinson. Because Nathan's point was... I. F- I don't have an objection to you going on Fox News, which is already miles beyond what a lot of libs and even some people on the left critique Glenn for. Some people think 
point blank period, never go on Fox News because it like validates the news organization or something, which I got to say, I think is asinine. Fox News is going to be fine, maybe <laughs> whether or not you're a part yeah. of it. Offered burying your head in the sand and hope, hoping that the sand is going to go away or something. <laughs> exactly. But Nathan also had this more substantive concern that there were opportunities for Glenn to push back that he didn't always take. And so while I agree with Glenn going on, I think that he often does good work on the show. I, I also took Nathan's point to heart and was able to have them both on the show to talk it through. And Glenn made some concessions about, okay, yeah, you're right. I guess I could see how that's making concessions that aren't necessary. And, and I thought it was a really fruitful conversation. And I want to read this comment um, on the YouTube stream from a psychonautic guy who says, have you heard from Chank yet? I've been a TYT listener slash subscriber for 15 years and he's totally wrong here. I can't keep letting the left split like this. Thank you for much for being the bigger person reaching out. And, and I haven't, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful um, that I will because I mean, that's entirely right. Like there's, it's ridiculous that, okay, force the vote was a policy dispute. I felt very strongly about it, but I'm not ready to beat anybody up over it. And I was so glad to have Ryan Grimm on the show and we talked it through. And I'm glad that we have a relationship and I consider him to be a mentor of sorts. And I have no interest in people feeling like they have to choose sides between TYT and myself. TYT is the largest left media network that there is and has done amazing work in helping people come to their leftist ideology. And I don't want it to be threatened in any way. Even if we never agree, I would like for not, there not to be bad blood between me, Chank, or anybody else on that network. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, it shouldn't be about, you know, I, I really see I see bad faith as a place where we can have those kinds of conversations in, in truly good faith. And I see that the conversations we've already had should be a model for why folks like Chank or anybody else who has had a substantive disagreement should be willing to come on and have that discussion. So I, I'm hopeful, uh, Synchronotic Guy. I think um, I was also really kind of thinking back to the the couple of episodes and segments you did with Nathan, uh, I guess, in like December or whenever that was, mm-hmm. um, because you were talking about, you know, why not go on, you know, why not step out of the bubble? And this was also after I don't even remember her name. She wrote the book about infiltrating fascist circles and then said oh, a bunch ta- of insulting ta- shit yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that. That has been coming up a lot in my mind the last couple of weeks because you and others have done um, pieces on this um, Sam Adler Bell piece, and you had a great episode with Pascal and and uh, and Deboer talking about right. like how do how do we take this as as a moment to sharpen our critiques? And I and I liked uh, Freddie's point about we we've got to be able to find a um, a rhetorical lane that is really sharp isn't just, you know, saying, yeah, actually fine. We'll never talk about anything that's considered broadly to be a woke issue. Um, but also I think, I think the both of you do a good, a good job, like just kind of poking out into other areas because as came up in the, in the Nathan episodes, people aren't actually all that, uh, solid in their, in their political beliefs and ideology. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of room to move around, especially people who actually factor in, um, data and, and broader trends beyond just like a single issue voter. I just think, um, like I've kind of disagreed in the, in the past, even on your show where you were like, should we be completely ignoring what people call the PMC? That's a term that gets thrown Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. for sure way too much. And and I said, basically there's more non-voters than there are voters, but 
I definitely, I think, I don't know. I kind of move around on that point. Um, but I think that, that all three of these conversations together are kind of exactly where the left needs to be thinking or not even just the left people who are independently minded and want a broad change in the, in the U S political system. I think we have to be able to have an elevator pitch. I think we have to be able to speak without making more work for ourselves, but also not just like give up on an issue that's actually kind of core to the platform. Anyways, yeah. I hope you start a left network and thanks for helping me figure <laughs> out all this shit, how to say it better. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for calling in. I'm going to bring up Anna, but also for people who are new to the YouTube conversation, I want to play a quick clip from today's Bad Faith episode to orient folks so we're not just talking about um, random stuff out of the blue. Um, I'm going to um, – so I have to get another video real quick. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah, go ahead. The bimbo talk thing. Uh -huh. I didn't know we were talking seriously about feminism, so I didn't come with my fourth wave feminism definition talking points. So. <laughs> okay, That's shoot. No. Do, you, do you have a revised I definition still, for us? I still, I still don't have them. I was just <laughs> Okay, I'm going to uh, share my screen really quickly. Sorry, I'm like, I get I get really discombobulated. Oh, and can I just tell everyone to make sure that they watch the You on My Show from Friday? Please tell them where to find that. That's on YouTube and SoundCloud, and then it's Patreon only for now. Um with Brie really breaking down a lot of stuff, but she breaks down a lot of stuff before it goes Patreon online, but um, youtube.com slash the Katie Halper show. And then patreon.com slash the Katie Halper show. You know, okay. I understand this critique that like, it's embarrassing to be on Patreon. Like well, all these people saying that don't live in the capitalist world system. Wait, when, who said that? I mean, it's a big thing. You know, our haters will say this all the time. Like, Oh, it's all about that Patreon money. They're on page, whatever gets them clicks, whatever's good for Patreon, which See, is that's so ironic and kind of backward because what I feel like frees me from having to label videos in a more salacious fashion or to do a bunch of videos on COVID or debate culture or whatever sells is having Patreon because right. the patrons are a more stable base of people who really care about you in a deeper way than just some random person clicking on a YouTube video. And so being able to decouple from the algorithms and all of the negative incentives they create it is part of what I think is my saving grace and what makes me feel very confident, let's say, doing The Hill or other shows that are beholden to YouTube algorithms. Yeah, I mean, I think these people probably don't think that deeply about it. It's just like the irony is that some people who even consider them leftists are borrowing these talking points that come from like alt-libs, you know, alt-centrists. Um who they used to, when Bernie was around and we were all united, they used to realize what a ridiculous, like, transparent um, sneer that was. Mm. But yeah, it's very weird. It's like, all, like you should, if you're a podcaster, it's, uh, you're supposed to be, I don't know what, not making money? <laughs> like, and it's this weird um, straw man argument also, like, when they're like, you're not an organizer. I'm like, yeah, I don't pretend to be an organizer. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Um, but mostly I think it's in bad faith and it's it's fine to ignore. Yeah. I'm going to quickly play this stream to or, uh, this video to orient us. And then we're going to come back and talk, uh, take your question uh, up next. Okay, one second. Here we go. 
Why does it sound like that? Me myself. Tell me if this works better. Go. Okay, let's try that. Oh, oh, no. It's not you, Katie. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That is insane. Wait a minute. Uh, Maybe if I mute myself in the... Okay, here we go. This is going to work. This is going to work. Okay, here we go. I'm so sorry. It, it always seems to be that they knew it was flawed in an obvious way, way, but it was, it was too reductive.
they're they're like stuck within a rigid frame. And so they're really developed in, in their kind of scholarship while you are busy doing the work of trying to like play chess from both sides and be like entertain a lot of different perspectives and like try to think about what they, you know, what would come out of a conversation between different perspectives, which I feel like takes a lot of work and you should credit yourself for. Um, yeah. And I also, I don't know, I guess I was also thinking about like uh, my partner listens to Chapo a lot. Um, I listen to it sometimes, but I feel like their taste and shit is like terrible too, but they like, um, they own it. They just have like, <laughs> they just have like funny stuff to say about it. But like, mm-hmm. whenever I hear them talk about film, which is like my other, like psych and film are my two things. Like I hear them talk about it. I'm like, they missing all of the kind of like salient pieces of like this movie. Like they're like, don't know what they're talking about. They're just funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like I listened to the – maybe it's not the most recent episode, but last Monday's episode, and it had um, you know, Stavros from Cometown on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And like half the episode is them making fun of their erectile dysfunction and how they like can't get girls. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, pushing uh-huh. their little like pasta willies into girls. <laughs> and, like it is it is like it's, – it's funny. Like I'm I'm – I'm laughing, but I, I found myself wondering, like, like I expressed on the podcast, like I do have this kind of jealousy that like a world where I talk about frivolous topics, like I thought low key that some of you were going to be mad at me talking about bimbos of TikTok with Katie this week, because there's so much happening in the world and how dare I take any space to talk about anything that's even like marginally fun and not about saving the, you know, saving the world, you know, the idea of talking about anything like not serious and then also things that are explicitly femme coded. I think can set you up for a lot of criticism. And I do have this jealousy. I do have this like, you know, feeling sometimes like, Oh, I wish I could just shoot the shit with a smart friend. Um, the way that the red girl girls get to do, even if like, I don't agree with all of their politics, but the freedom of being able to truly talk about all the parts of your personality, even those parts that aren't like politically correct. You know, when, when I had someone earlier brought up, someone's wrong on the internet, my friend, my show with my best friend, Joe, and we used to like occasionally, you know, make jokes about celebrities and, oh, I hated that dress at the Oscars and say things that were a little mean spirited, you know, mm-hmm. punching, you know, punching up at celebrities, but, you know, like fashion and all of that kind of thing in a way that would feel for me now very inappropriate because it's mm-hmm. like real people. And I have a quote unquote platform. It isn't going to make someone feel bad, you know? Sure. And that, I, look, I'm not complaining like world smallest viol- violin for me for that to be a concern. Good on my show. Sorry. You can do it on my show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like there is, there is a kind of like lack of freedom in that. And also, should I even be restricting myself in that way? If perhaps there could be more traction gained in the way that all these cultural types, like the Jordan Peterson types attract people to the right through talking about dating and cleaning your room or Kevin Samuels and negging women and all this kind of thing. Like, am I unfairly, like tying one hand beside my back behind my back in this competition by not bringing my full self to the table. Well, I mean, like I, I would love to see like a less restrained version of Brie, but I also <laughs> like, I also think that some of the shit like with the red scare ladies and with Chapo, the Chapo dudes, like is a defense, like they're not, I don't think they're taking things on as head on and earnestly as you are. Mm. And, and they're, because whatever, you know, insecurities or fears that they have, you know, and, and especially TikTok bimbos, I mean, that just, 
that was just like insecurity world, like listening to that, you know, like it was like, um, I, I have insecurity about being perceived as stupid. So I'm going to like double down on like kind of coming off as stupid seems mm-hmm. like just this whole like defensive structure that is, you know, kind of immature, but I mean like, but if it's for humor, like I'm, that's great. But like, I, I guess I'm like wondering where the line is between that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, are we all insecure? Isn't that what Kanye taught us? Totally. We are. That's why he wears so many watches. (laughs) Yeah. But, but like, I think you're being brave about it, Brie. And like, I don't know. (laughs) Well, look, I, I appreciate you casting me in the, in the best light. Cause you know, when I said on the show, I'm about to play a clip from the bimbo stuff. If people haven't seen it, people on YouTube, if you're not watching, you haven't watched this episode. There was a New York times article about the bimbos of TikTok, this phenomenon of women who are young, um, Gen Z, leftists adjacent who definitely talk a lot about late stage capitalism and how they do not dream of labor and who kind of really lean into this idea of uh, having a a superficial kind of hot girl devil may care attitude toward things, but also being kind of woke about causes and supporting various marginalized groups, LGBT, BLM, all of that stuff. Uh, I pulled up this random clip, Gen Z bimbo. She's on TikTok. Let's see if this gives us some good content to introduce some folks who might not already know. Oh, sorry. Got to turn up the volume. What is a bimbo? A bimbo isn't dumb. I mean, she kind of is, but she isn't that dumb. She's actually a radical leftist who's pro-sex work, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-LGBTQ, pro-choice, and will always be there for her girls' gays and nays. So now it's, it's introducing uh, Chrissy from the article. The way I reclaimed it is like the bimbo, she likes to dress up, she likes to look good, and she likes to dismantle the patriarchy while wearing her six inch heels. Then, like, I feel like that's the way I've reclaimed it is I've made her more into like a badass rather than making her just like a dumbass. Girls, gays, and things. <laughs> of a pretzel hurt your feelings they're better than that my bimbo videos are like a place for people to feel safe and like kind of maybe laugh about you know trauma that like we've possibly been through with like the way our world is set up and like the way that like for me like men have treated me in the past i feel like a lot of gen z is like coping with things through humor so like my videos always have an underlying message, but like it always will have that humorous aspect. So it's easier for people to watch and laugh at and just like feel safe with. I mean, it's not that what we're all saying at the end of the day, the left needs more of. <laughs> yeah, I think so. What? Just I'm that? Sure. <laughs> the idea of being able to talk about, you know, your whatever it is, your trauma, your political issues, whatever it is, without feeling like you need to have a master's degree or PhD and whatever, or have the exact right words to say it, getting rid of the kind of credentialism that for so long has, you know, kept people, you know, certain kinds of people from getting an audience or being thought leaders in the kind of left lefty spaces for women to be able to do that. And also, you know, be, you know, hyper femme or interested and very kind of openly interested in men and sexuality uh, without without that being seen as like a discredit to their feminism 
credentials. I don't know. <laughs> Anna, you seem unconvinced. Well, it sounds like, I mean, what I'm gathering maybe is that you feel like you're getting pulled in all different, or you have to be so many different things at once or something. I do. I, I confess. I feel, I feel like, I, you know, I was thinking about this when I was watching the crystal segment and how much responsibility is on any leftist who's in a position to like do a debate or go on mainstream networks, you know, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, Katie, you've done this and you've, you've gone trial by fire on, on like even like thoughts and stuff, right? Like there's this responsibility to represent not just yourself well, but the whole movement. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, if you're doing media, yeah. Yeah. And how, like stressful that is um and how sometimes it can make you feel like you cannot be your whole self because also anything that you say in the off time like when you're off, technically off camera or on somebody else's show or whatever just trying to be normal can be used to undermine not just you and your own credibility but the entire movement and there's so few of us who have the opportunities to speak in these broader spaces in these higher profile spaces that it's a lot and I don't know. There, I, there, there is a part of me that wants to escape it by kind of uh, aggressively, affirmatively own my own imperfection and say, you know what? I have right. red marks. Don't try to outmarks me. I already admit it. I meet. Yeah. I admit it. We, <laughs> I haven't read him. We should do a reading group where we read marks together. We could, but then we're go- there goes my plausible deniability, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who, between the two of you, I feel like the hammer's going to come down harder on you, Brianna, than Katie. How do you maybe because Katie's a comedian, maybe. I don't know. Do I? Am I seen as a comedian? I feel like that's just something, I try not to advertise that. Or, Katie. well, I create more, I have more leeway, I think, because I am less formal on my show. True. So, uh, that gives me some, yeah, I mean, the hammer, I'm trying to think, what situation are we talking about, this hammer? Like, when talking about marks? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't know. What what kind of thing have you gotten into recently, Bree, that gave you, where you got a lot of um, flack for? Well, this Tucker Carlson clip, yeah. for instance, that is the, is the impetus, apparently, for me being described as a fake leftist this week. Right. For instance, you know, I don't think that that would have saved, I don't, if Katie, you know, did that radar, I don't think that that would save her from being called a fake leftist. And in fact, I probably, you probably, I have, no, you would, I think you have more wiggle room than I do just because awkward, but because you're not white. (laughs) Yeah, I do Mm. think that there are a lot of, I mean, we talked about this on the show, Katie, on this podcast, how you feel like. An allowance and even an obligation sometimes to speak up for Palestinian rights because you are Jewish. And I feel the same way about pushing back against some of the ways that identity politics are weaponized because I'm black. Right. And and I think my early articles on identity politics that kind of put me on the map, you know, got a hearing in a way that other people who were writing about the subject weren't getting the same hearing, even though we were substantively making the same points in a lot of ways, in part because people were willing to hear me out because I'm black and female. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's maybe a complicated question. Class reductionist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I have one more question. Sure. Kind of. Well, I um. So I'm now I'm on the the thinking about humor, like your your first caller was talking about, and I was thinking about um, some of the like, uh, 
Well, I was thinking about the Lizzo thing, her mm -hmm. censoring, and um, uh, my partner called her every Warren voter's favorite rapper, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> but um, what do you call her? But the, every I, Warren I, voter's I, favorite rapper. <laughs> anyway, um, and then I like saw like the Cardi B response saying that she would just tell that person to suck their dick, suck her dick, or whatever. Um, about about the lyric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's generally what she does when people try to come at her for mm. for those things. Because, I mean, it's not in, I don't know, as far as I know, not been in the, like, uh, ethos of hip-hop to be polite about things. And, you know, so, you know, it's, it's Well, Lizzo it's came weird. onto the public stage with a piccolo, <laughs> that's, you know, that's playing a, a flute or whatever. So I don't know if she's necessarily <laughs> trying to stay within an archetype. Right. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um uh so i guess i'm thinking about like a couple things so there's like that direction of like maybe lizzo and i don't know i'm i i watched like alana glazer stand-up special like recently it was so bad where it's mm, like really? oh it's so so bad and everyone knows it um, <laughs> that's why i watched it because i heard it was really bad but um in what way uh just really not funny but also she's like making really she's kind of just like making points that are like kind of basic liberalism mm -hmm. stuff that mm -hmm. like in the crowd is kind of applauding but they're not even really laughing mm -hmm. um it's got that um <laughs> what what was the woman who had the stand-up on netflix that everyone said it wasn't funny nanette nanette it had that nanette vibe where it's like maybe you agree but you're not actually laughing Ooh, I didn't watch that. But yeah, comedy shouldn't be about agreeing. <laughs> like it just yeah. like, you know, it should be funny. Um, but uh, uh, what am I trying to get at? So but then the, I was thinking about um, I'm trying to tie these things together. So the other thing is Katie brought up Roxanne Gay, who yeah. um, really bothers me, actually. I don't know if you guys like oh. her. I'm not. I, I, I have a couple of critiques, but go ahead. <laughs> OK, OK. So she like put out that she put out point. that article about about the Will Smith thing that was like in defense of being thin skinned. Mm, did yeah, you I see that? that? I did yeah. see that. And I was like, why is she defending being thin skinned? It's not good for us to be thin skinned. Like it's not, it doesn't feel good. Like I'm, I don't know, like the times where I've been able to like laugh in the face of someone like being insulting to me or my, like I've had, I don't know, like one time some like dudes like zoomed past me and my friends on their bike and were like, kind of like, harassing us because we were bikers not because we were women but we like mm -hmm. all blew kisses at them mm -hmm. and like that was one of the best moments because it was just like and we didn't think about it like really for the rest of the night except for just like you know laughing that it happened because mm -hmm. we had like this kind of like humorous response to it or something or like mm -hmm. when, when I've been able to laugh at like sexist shit and stuff that's felt great and I think it's actually like good for yourself to be able to do that mm -hmm. um but but it's also not something I want to like really push on like it seems a lot to ask of people to just laugh off jokes at their expense mm. right especially um, in groups that have more complex identities than I do so I guess what I'm thinking about is just like how humor functions when like we should say like yeah have a sense of humor I can say spaz if I want um, or I can like you know I want to actually have a comedic routine that makes people laugh um, and has, is edgy or like challenging in some ways and whether and where we have to uh, kind of like protect people, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I'm on, I have two minds about this. What do you, what do you think, Katie? Um, well, one thing I just want to say, I'm not a fan of Roxanne Gay. I just thought she made a good point about um, there being a lot of daylight uh, between disease uh, I'm sorry and Harvey Weinstein another thing she did that I didn't like is she says Bill Clinton is sexy which is not okay uh, <laughs> she's pretty libish if, is my take if your question is your question like what the line is between saying like get over it and also being supportive of people who are in marginalized groups I guess so but I want to add to that to that discussion is that like my the assertion I'm making is that we should push that line some in some direction because I do think it's important that we are able to let things roll off I think it's good for us to be able to do that right if that makes sense yeah resilience as Hillary Clinton said Katie Uh, Katie (laughs) and I both did an, an episode of the West Wing thing where Hillary Clinton was doing her Masterclass series, and we both did the episode on resilience. Really- <laughs> or the whole thing was about resilience or something, Wait, right? You did you did the Hillary Masterclass? Yeah, the the West Wing guys, <laughs> the West Wing thing guys. Go ahead, Katie. Yeah. No, yeah, we did a um a with the West Wing guys. Katie, you're yeah. cutting out a little bit for me. Yeah. Oh, can you hear me now? Better now? I I can hear you. Yeah, it does seem better now. All right. Um, but yeah, so we, we did the episode on resilience and talked about Hillary Clinton's lesson on resilience, which wasn't really about resilience. It was about being the president and having high friends and high places and like being able to basically do what you want. But I do think that resilience is important, but I have a little bit of discomfort saying, well, I think because people should be resilient that they shouldn't feel entitled to being hurt by things that are hurtful. Right. Do you know I mean, I don't want to get into a place where I'm basically gaslighting people out of feeling like they shouldn't feel offense. Because I, I have seen that, especially in people who are like belong to historically marginalized groups, but are in very, very isolated social contexts where to get by. They say like, oh, nothing bothers me. I'm not offended by anything. I have a thick skin. But you can see in their eyes, like you see them being offended. Like I've seen people who are like. <laughs> and mixed race couples <laughs> or who grew up as like the only black kid in Indiana or whatever, like they say they're cool. And then I'm watching them with their family or I'm watching them in their friend group getting microaggressed at the wazoo and like this like flash of pain <laughs> across their eyes and their shoulders slump and then go quiet. I'm like, you're not okay. You, this is just a survival mechanism. It's okay to admit that you're not okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there could be a reaction in that, res- in that direction as well. Right. And some things are like legitimately hurtful. I mean, when you have your own cultural context and your own social context and your own milieu that you can retreat to and feel validated, like, oh, those bikers, they're being assholes. Like, that's not on me. That's them. I'm not the problem. That's one thing. But sometimes people, oftentimes people feel affected because they don't have anyone to validate that they are not the problem. You know, that the, the jerk is the problem, not them. Absolutely. I feel like my, like my thing has been to try to find ways to, to, yeah, maybe find solidarity with other people or like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not something that can just happen if you don't have, it, it's, it's much more difficult if you don't have resources or community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I want to read one of these comments off the YouTube before I lose track of it. Alphonse Cohen, thank you, says, when is your economically left, socially conservative arc, Brie? 
never. <laughs> this unit needs more spotlight as it feels like it could lead to real working class change. Gotta disagree, my friends. Um, I'm not socially conservative. I don't believe in social conservatism and I don't plan to have a social conservative arc. My contention is that you, even social conservatives will get on board with an economically left arc point blank period. The most effective economically left arc will win. And so we need to make sure that the one that wins is the one that's also socially progressive. Um, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have anything else? Um, Anna? No, but so nice to talk to both of you. Same here. Thank you as always for calling in. I am going to hop around a little bit and, uh, bring up jaw. How you doing today? Jaw? Oh, I'm doing all right, Bree. How are you? I'm doing quite well. What's on your mind this evening? First of all, what up, Katie? Good to good, hey. good that you're here. This is fun. I really enjoyed uh, today's episode. It was it was fantastic, and I actually like the bimbos of TikTok. I think they're hilarious, and it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask about something that popped up in the last episode. Um, you guys were talking about. I think there was some film or something that was released, like, what is a woman? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Why? Okay. In your opinion, why was that film even made? Like, what is the, what is the, what is the sticking point here? What is going on? Why, why would anyone feel the need to do it? Katie, do you want to take a shot at it? Um, do, do you want me to do it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I I think the episode, the, the movie was made because the right has identified a place where kind of some parts of the left, the vanguard of the left has outstripped the broader social understanding of an issue and are choosing to exploit that to undermine the credibility of the broader left kind of identitarian project or equality project is probably a better word to use it. Huh. And therefore are trying to pretend like there's this very simple question that the the left can't answer and that that is why you shouldn't pay any attention to the left. And also obviously to fear monger around what's happening to your children in schools and all of this kind of thing. Someone right. on the last call in pointed out that it's a similar thing that they did with gay marriage where because enough folks knew enough gay people, they didn't like the idea of full on saying, you know, gay people are horrible and evil. They, what conservatives could say is, well, what is marriage? What is the definition of a marriage? It's not that I have anything against gay people per se. It's just that I think that a marriage between is a man and a woman. That's what God said. I'm not God. Don't at me. Like, that was the take. And now they're okay. doing the same thing with, with, with trans folks. And this has nothing to do with scientific consensus whatsoever. Zero to do with it. What do you mean in terms of the you know, medical and psychiatric recommendations for what to do or, or what point to transition kids and those kinds of things <sighs> about what, okay. Like how do you actually answer that question? And I know that is crazy coming from my mouth, but as far as like who I would call a woman, I call, I call anyone who tells me that they're a woman, a woman, that's just where I'm at or, right. you know, whoever, I personally, that's not an issue, but I don't know. Like what, is there anything there beside this bad faith effort to 
to, to derail all of this. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, is Look, there I, anything scientific to any of these people's claims? I don't, I have been trying to, I've always tried to be very upfront about my relative ignorance here. And I hate being in this position. People are like, why don't you have trans people talking about these issues? It's like right now, this is not an episode about trans stuff. And I didn't get a trans guest to come on, but these things yeah. come up and that's why it's happening. I just want to say for the record, I'm not intentionally talking about this. So I'm going to take an analogy over into race where I'm more comfortable. Great. <laughs> I I think that in the in the midst of all of the CRT stuff, right? Because there is this aggressive push to make certain books illegal, to ban the bluest eye, to not talk about mouse, to prevent anyone from talking about slavery, which would be mm-hmm. the implication of some of these laws. It can be very difficult to acknowledge that there's anything credible mm-hmm. in that movement. Right. Because it seems like you're validating the whole project. Yes. You see the analogy that I may be making here with the trans issue. Yeah. However, I would say in the racial context, there is a sliver of a thing. Like when Christopher Rufo picks up on some of these weird definitions, like defining things that are broadly culturally valued as white and saying that people who don't subscribe to, you know, timeliness or whatever are not subscribing to a white cultural value or that you know, doing well at math or all things like that. There, there is a, there is a kind of like maximalist version of some of these arguments that feels odd and almost mm-hmm. disrespectful to black people in the same way that some people would argue that some of the maximalist, that's not a right way to put it, but, but some of the newer, newer to the broader public aspects of trans identity are uncomfortable enough to people that even folks who would be broadly sympathetic to the needs of the trans community are irked. That's hmm. not to say that they should be irked or that there is actually a there there. But I hmm. do think that at least in the racial context, because there is this very minor, you know, relatively limited realm of things that I would also disagree with. And also I have my own critique of identity politics that I've been making for years now. Yes. I can understand why there's enough there to make people who aren't like virulent racist feel like, oh, there's something stinky in the state of Denmark. You know, there's something amiss here. Yeah. And and it's difficult because there is so much aggression towards the trans community and mm-hmm. so many, so much legislation that's coming down the pike and the whole political conservative political access is really turning on like, you know, your opinions about trans people and whether or not you're willing to throw them under the bus. It doesn't really honestly feel mm-hmm appropriate to give any quarter to that argument. But I think it's unfortunate because there is this credibility gap that can happen. You know, I don't, I don't know how to resolve. I think what are some, and I really do wish there were a trans person. I don't want to keep calling the same folks back up because it's really not their responsibility, but you know, what, what do you do about the fact that many thousands or hundreds of years ago or whatever, somebody decided that we're going to bifurcate sports along sex lines because of what are broadly perceived to be differences. Sorry. One of my lights just went out differences uh, in terms of uh, the physical capabilities of, uh, you know, people assigned men versus women at birth. Right. That we want to have, you know, women, you know, uh, cis women have an opportunity to compete against Mm -hmm. cis men. Okay. In a world where there's only cisses, that was the logic. (laughs) People only understood there to be cisses. Obviously there were trans people. Yes. Okay. So then what do you do? If we can, we all on some level, this, this is what the movie kind of gets to. We all on some level acknowledge that there is those, there are those 
differences. And we've all mm-hmm. been living our whole lives accepting that sports are segregated in that way for a reason. So how do you handle a trans woman or a trans man that wants to compete with you know, cis men and cis women? Well, the Olympics has a kind of an answer. And I'm not an expert, and people should talk to the big brains at the Olympic Committee about how, okay, if a trans woman has been on hormones for this amount of time, and this is what her T levels are, and, and then she can compete. Great. That seems fine to me. I'm comfortable with whatever they're comfortable with. But we don't even be – there are spaces where even acknowledging that that is anything other than transphobia to have that concern. It does, It does. I think, feed into the fervor that says, well, why can't you just answer the question? What does it want? Like that that kind of like the the movie survives because the left isn't able to have those conversations in a space that actually respects trans people. And maybe some trans people would say there's no such thing as that conversation that does respect trans people. There's only bad faith conversations, in which case – you know, maybe that's maybe that's true. I'll hear them out. I'll hear them out on that. But would, it does I seem to me, to know. you know, and this has been Glenn's point. You know, Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> I don't mean maybe <laughs> I shouldn't bring him into this, but Glenn Greenwald has been made a, a kind of a point where, what is her name, Katie uh, Natatrolova, the tennis player, Martina Natatrolova. Yeah, that okay. she, she, you know, vanguard lesbian tennis player. LGBTQ uh, visible ally, all of the stuff like trailblazer long before everyone was hanging flag poles from the U S open uh, pride flags from the U S open said something that was not great, but didn't seem to be necessarily malicious about uh, trans women in sports. I forget what it was. Maybe. Do you remember Katie? No, I don't. I don't remember, okay. but I remember it. Yeah. I don't remember it. What was it? So, so Glenn's, Glenn's point was, so after she said it, there was a lot of backlash and she basically was like, F this and went full kind of, uh, JK Rowling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's not just obviously no matter how many, like how much negative backlash you get, you shouldn't go and just adopt the worst point of view in the world reactively. Right. That's silly. Obviously no one should do that. It's not an excuse She's not allowed to do that just because that was, but I do think it's a different thing to say like that's justified. I don't think it's justified, and but it's a different thing to acknowledge that like human nature is that that often happens. Yes, and I don't want that to happen. Right? I would prefer a world where someone who wasn't an LGBT icon like Martina Navratilova and not necessarily hateful toward trans people was brought in the other direction and had a space to air her, was called her concerns. Yeah, was called in, right. And could work it through in a way that acknowledged if there is any legitimate concern there, acknowledged it, was able to come up with a solution that wasn't ban trans people, disrespect trans people, throw trans community under the bus. But the left, because they're, my, from my perspective, it does feel like because that space doesn't exist on the left, there's only one option. And that's why we keep getting this ratchet right from on these cultural issues. Yeah. Okay. Dang it. (laughs) You, you, you have said a lot and I'm just like what you said about the Olympics and about sports. Right. I, me personally, I could care less about sports. I'm, I'm kind of an artsy guy, but I appreciate that somebody somewhere, even if it's not getting a lot of publicity or any people aren't hearing about it, that someone is willing to dive down into the weeds of whatever separation, and I'm not talking about gender or gender expression, I'm talking about sex, 
whatever differences that we've deemed in the past uh, are ones that really do exist, like whatever. And, and all the things in between, like someone is willing to dive into the weeds and go, okay, what is it? How can we make this as fair as possible so that everyone actually really does get an opportunity to compete and live their dreams and do the stuff that they want to do in whatever capacity is even possible, right? But like I said, that space of rigor doesn't seem to exist within any sort of mainstream consensus of anybody, like anybody trying to understand the whole of this issue. And I, I think that's that was where my question came from was like, is there nothing? Is there no process? Is there no, no path of exploration that can get us closer to having a, a universal consensus about all of this stuff? Like what, or is it, I, I don't know. Is it, is it, I, I think I should stop talking now. Because no, I, no, I get it. And it's, it, it's difficult. And I felt this way around, you know, I mean, this is not the first issue that feels this sensitive. Although I will say, like we were talking about earlier, my blackness, my femaleness, does give me feel, make me feel insulated to have a lot of the conversations that are difficult for other folks on the left. This is the first time that my own identity doesn't give me a certain kind of leeway. And it is edifying. And it gives me a lot of sympathy for folks who are trying to talk about and understand race without being called racist. And it is part of why I have, I think, more flexibility, more openness to folks getting it wrong, as it were, in quotation marks, than mm-hmm. other people might do. Yeah. What do you think, Katie? I think we should just all assume, given that the world is so messed up, we should just all assume <laughs> people will get it wrong. And then we then call them in and then they're able to, you know, make amends. Not oh, wouldn't just, that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, just because it's strategically, if we want to win, we can't ignore. We can't like both say how racist, homophobic, transphobic the world is on a systemic level, then expect people not to mess up, and also not not try to win hearts and minds. I mean, that's going to get me canceled. But I think it's a numbers game. Yeah, yeah, and I and I also completely appreciate people who say that this is my life. I'm being targeted. I don't care about hearts and minds. I, I personally don't want to engage with folks and no one personally has to engage with anybody. Right. But on a movement level, I do think you have to acknowledge you're going to have to make, you know, there's going to be people in this movement that aren't great. Just like got to tell you, there's lots of people in the democratic party, but I don't want to have a Chardonnay with, <laughs> you know, like what was the study? Remember Katie back in 2016, when we were always um, passing around that, poll that all the libs loved because it showed that like Trump voters, uh, 40% of Trump voters think that black people are violent and stupid and all this stuff. And, you know, they were all passing around to to prove how dumb Trump voters were. But then the same chart had like 25% of Democrats feeling the same way. And I'm like, "Ah." if you take the black people out of the Democrats, how many, how different is the white Democrat number from the Republican number, which is predominantly white. Right. (laughs) So yeah, like I, my issue is that is that we are always making uncomfortable bedfellows all the time, but it seems to be the left. I don't know. The litmus test for the left's bedfellows is different, and there's this presumption that being under the same tent means you, that you concede to the worst, you know, the lowest common denominator. When my view is that, given people's economic priorities, given that all of these groups list when asked their priorities as being economics, education, wages, all of those kinds of things, 
that history has shown that people are willing to people are willing to help others and deal with other people's niche issues as long as they feel like they're being served and their priorities are being served. Our priorities largely overlap. Sorry, right. go ahead, Katie. They need to have it explained to them. What do you mean? No, there's certain things that people don't know. Like I don't yeah. okay, something. I don't think it's transphobic to be like it's not fair. I think that, yep. I don't think it's it's transphobic to say for someone to say uh, I don't think trans women should be allowed to play in female sports. Now I disagree with them, and I think it's become a, a, a moral panic. And I think professional transphobes have turned this into something that it isn't. But I think the way you can respond to that is by saying, you know what, there there are a lot of like to the extent that people think there's genetic advantage, you know, there's a lot of things that are advantages that people are born with. Uh, people are born with longer legs. You know, people are born with like mm-hmm. a bigger lung capacity. We don't, we don't, we don't not let them compete because they have legs that are longer than a certain length. So that's just an example mm-hmm. how like I think that writing off all people who think, hey, it's not fair, writing them off as transphobes, I think is not productive. Um, when you can a actually. Great point talk to them and make the point if you mm-hmm. treat, talk to them like adults, because there's a big difference between saying, I don't think it's fair for trans women to compete in a sport. And again, I just explain why I think it is fair, but there's a big difference between saying that and saying um, it's unnatural. These people are freaks or mm-hmm. you should never be allowed to have an operate, you know, gender reassignment surgery. And mm-hmm. if we want to actually make like gains, we have to make those distinctions. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you frame that, Katie. And my where I'm coming from on this issue is where you're saying, like, people have concerns. I'm simply asking, what is with these concerns? Where Where is this coming up? And, and just, like, why? Moral panic, I think. I mean, I do think that, like, people like creating scapegoats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when people see certain progress, like, there's some progress in this area. Certainly the world is less transphobic than it used to be. Uh, obviously there, I don't mean to downplay like the all all out assaults on trans people's lives. Um, you know, especially scary, all these scary laws about like being able to like go after parents whose, whose kids uh, transition or want to transition. But I think that, you know, people are, there are always people who are scapegoated and people who are vulnerable are scapegoated. And this is just, uh, and kind of a, another way to to divide and conquer and pit people against each other. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, I think I agree with Katie. Thank you for calling in, Ja. I'm going to try to move to this queue. I've got sure. it. I Thanks can't for go you. for three hours tonight because I have yeah. dinner reservation. I actually have to hop off. I'll come back on, but I have to hop off for a quick. Call. Yeah, go for it. Thank you so All much, right. Katie. We have an open door okay. policy here. Okay. okay, so let's hop around a little bit. Let's try to find some new faces. Uh, Steph, I don't think I've seen you around these parts. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Oh, wait, real Hello. quick. I want to read this Hi. comment um, from Anton Diaz, who says, I will be blunt. GOP wants to take the country back to uh, 1859, if not earlier. Thank you for that. You know, can't really argue. Uh, Anti Striner writes, I'm trans and we must focus on class or we are all doomed. Wokeism is a psyop. Thank you, Anti Striner, for that comment. Uh, is that all of them? Okay. Shoot your shot, Steph. What's on your mind? Hi. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me there. 
first time using this app, so I'm kind of a little bit nervous. So you're doing amazing, sweetie. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's literally 1.30 for me. I'm calling you from Ireland. So, uh, oh, hi. well, thank you for for <laughs> staying up for this. We appreciate. Yeah, no, you. it was just, and it was an amazing, amazing episode. And like, you know, it's like two of my favorite podcasters. So I'm just like listening to you guys, and I just love the way that you handle these with like just curiosity, asking a lot of the questions that I always want to ask. So it's just, it's just good to hear. And actually, I am part of um i'm a member of the um the sister party of socialist alternative here. oh so cool. hello comrade how you doing hello comrade <laughs> <laughs> but um i guess the reason why i really wanted to to bring in here is because it's i just feel like when we're talking about kind of what wave of feminism mm-hmm. is meant to come up next i just i feel like it's got to be an unapolog- unapologetically socialist feminism mm-hmm. And like, that's it. Like, it's really got to address the questions of why, why, like, where, where, like, taking the idea of misogyny, taking the ideas of, of misogynistic oppression and actually taking it and, and making it, taking it out of this ahistorical lens that liberal feminism likes to kind of put it mm-hmm. and kind of actually making it historical, kind of reaching back and saying, like, actually asking the questions of why, where does, um, where does this oppression come from? Because, like, otherwise, we're just doing the thing that, like, I don't know, I, I look at this moment, I look at the moments of, like, watching, um, you know, Roe versus Wade, seeing Roe mm-hmm. versus Wade on the chopping block, mm-hmm. seeing um, the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing, all this stuff happening at, at, at this one moment. I feel like it's happening in this moment because we're looking at the um, the failures of liberal feminism, mm-hmm. the failures of liberal of liberal feminism, especially white liberal feminism, in taking movements, taking actual kind of working class movements that are challenging systematic oppression co-opting them mm-hmm. into kind of a um a ruling class mm-hmm. co-optation ruling class capture and then narrowing them into not only saying like we're going to throw anyone who is inconvenient under the bus but we're going to only fight for these rights within the system that is actually causing the oppression yeah so like i'm looking at roe versus wade and like if you look at kind of if you look at women's liberation movements in the 60s and 70s coming up alongside black liberation movements coming up alongside the um, anti-Vietnam, anti-imperialism movements, all fighting from like a real kind of working class perspective. Um, you had not only people looking for the right determination of pregnancy, mm-hmm. but also looking for the right, like the economic ability to actually have children. And mm-hmm. like you even mentioned it today in the um, in the podcast about kind of, you know, how it is a privilege in a lot of ways to kind of like say, well, I want to go to work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause like people have been working class people, especially kind of poor working class people, um, women of color, like this, like have been having to work mm-hmm. like the whole time. Yeah. So that's why like- I want to be a bimbo. <laughs> <laughs> Stab, it's my right. I, I had to do it for my ancestors <laughs> who were forced to work. <laughs> But I feel like, and actually the bimbo thing too, it was like, I kind of like feel like it's almost like this, like this reaction in a way that's kind of like flailing back against these gender roles where it's like kind of saying like, okay, so we had the kind of, we have this idea that we've got to be kind of like, I don't know, these, these. I don't know, now I'm kind of like, it wasn't even kind of like what I was thinking of, but like, you know, like we've got to kind of like be the, um, I, I don't know, like, like 
Oh, gosh. Sorry. No, I'm losing my train of thought there. Sorry. Yeah, wait, I mean, like, the, 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 <laughs> the kind of hashtag lean-in feminism was oh, you got to yeah. work. You yeah. can do it yeah. all. You know, yeah. you, women can yeah. do it all is a kind of curse because, like, even if it you can technically can tie it together, that's uh, no fun. <laughs> but exactly. But exactly that. And, like, going back to kind of, like, that women's liberation movement and, like, what it was captured into, it was captured into this idea is, like, women could have it all. And, of course, again, asking, like, who does that serve? What mm-hmm. is having more um, what is having kind of a whole new layer of uh, workers into the workforce that can be able to can have their work extracted for the profit makers? Like, what mm-hmm. does that mean? And how did that work in that moment? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a whole other question, too. And then it's kind of like, you know, when when you say when you throw kind of when you throw people under the bus, when you throw like the idea of, again, in reproductive liberation, when reproductive liberation was narrowed down to the idea of saying we're going to only fight for Roe versus Wade within the system we're only going to fight for termination we're not going to fight for economic liberation to Mm -hmm. actually choose to have a family and we're going to fight for it by within the supreme court in fact we're Mm going to give the supreme court these seven little god kings the (laughs) the ability to kind of say like oh you know that here's your reproductive liberation here here it is i gave it to you it's like well now we're seeing like they take it away. It's like we reified by, by choosing to kind of throw, to, to say, like, we're not going to actually confront the economic system. We're only going to fight within this kind of narrow, liberal form of, of, of rights within the system. And we're not only that, but we're going to reify the system of, of oppression. Yeah. It's like, here we are. Like- no, I agree. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> to also think of politically. I mean, to the extent that there are, and it's not clear, um, it's not clear, but isn't that there is a, you know, a corporatist Republican Party aligning against reproductive rights for various reasons? You know, the idea that you know you have to put up or shut up. You know, okay, be anti-abortion, but you're going to have to grow the uh, government to finance care for the babies that are born. Does kind of create incentives for them to also want to have I mean that's kind of perverse but you know to want to say okay well maybe I'm not going to fight the right to choose so much because then I don't have to grow the government as much and that's my whole ideology you know so I'm I'm completely with you I think you're completely right it is never the case I was I was vetching about this as recline article today where he does that thing that he does where he puts a disproportionate onus on progressives for why good things can't happen and kind of ignores all of the deeply entrenched conservative and i mean that in a bipartisan way um you know capture that is that is actually at the root of why under neither administration do we get the overwhelmingly popular policies that a majority of americans want and i was you know com- you know irritated by the fact that there isn't as enough and i myself i'm included in this literacy about the administrative state about long-term conservative attacks on the administrative state and why it is the government often does do a bad job at this point at things because it's it's been neutered in this way systemically over the last 40 years. And it is frustrating to me that we don't have that narrative locked in enough. Mm. That, you know, that the government, you know, admit that the government does mess up, but it's because it's been perfectly, you know, purposefully designed to fail. And that it is the left that is arguing for a rehabilitated government, a government that is more nimble and is more empowered to do X, Y, and Z. uh, Because it has demonstrated the ability to do this before and to stop getting in this like neoliberal middle ground of 
you know, I wish there could be more things possible, but it's just not the pragmatic approach. And since nothing, there's nothing to be done, we definitely shouldn't listen to the left. And then we need to just wait for another cycle. And we just need to vote, 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 vote our way out of this. And I don't even know what I'm just, I'm rambling. I'm rambling right now. But I, I, I just want to say that I'm really, I'm really with you. And I'm really glad that you are my comrade across the sea. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean, like, it's, it, I totally like exactly what you're saying. Make sure you, but I think that also kind of like, when we talk about that, when we talk about kind of the failures of the government, I think it is important to kind of frame it in terms of this is the reason why the, it's failing is because it's a capitalist government. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not, it's not designed, it's designed to do this. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's failing us, but it's not failing itself. Right. It's exactly. Capitalist government, you know? Speaking of, shout, somebody shout out, um, DM me or like get in the comments of this if you have any suggestions for guests to come on and talk about the new Colombian president VP pair would love to get a deep dive about what's been going on in, in Colombia uh, and all of these socialists that are winning races across South America. <laughs> um, but thank thank you, Steph. I'm going to move on to a can new I make, Can I yeah. make can I make just a suggestion? Just a uh, suggestion, right? That's <laughs> For um, a guest, like if to talk, like, I mean, if you want to like, because I know it is kind of like, okay, kind of breaking into theory and kind of all that stuff is it's, I don't really read that much either. I like to listen to kind of like podcasts that break it down. Um, Kristen Godsey, um, who wrote um, Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism. Um, does this great podcast, um, AK-47, which is the 47 works of Alexander Kalantai, who was the first commissar of social welfare um, in the, after the Bolshevik Revolution. But it's just, she just does these amazing, amazing breakdowns of kind of like what, why, like they kind of distinguish themselves as socialist feminists as a part, as, as, as opposed to kind of liberal feminists. Um, and she's just, she just does these amazing, like just just kind of like deep dives into that, but like, but also kind of like just talking about it and linking it back into kind of like the world that we're living in now. So it's not alienating. It's just, she's just, she's great. Okay. Well, I take, I've taken the note. I love that suggestion and I appreciate you for calling in Steph. No. And thank you so much uh, for everything you do. All right. Take care. Keep the faith. Uh, let's go to uh, John. You seem like a new face. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening. Uh, hello. Hello, John. Hi. I was just going to make an argument a little bit against the kind of bimboism. All right, John, tell me why I shouldn't be a bimbo. Well, because democracy absolutely depends on the informed citizen. Like, if learning things like reading marks is really too much to ask of the normal person, then it's not going to work because of all these thousand, thousand things that divide the left and whether wokeness is dividing the left or whether this form of feminism is undermining the solidarity because the group, like Katie said, is too small for you guys to be pitted against each other. It all comes from a absence of what to talk about and what your conversation isn't about what to talk about much less is it just talking about what needs to be talked about so much so you don't see it when it's six inches in front of your face, like Crystal on Bill Maher, you know, your you commentary mean? on your commentary on her is like, it's not about the content. It's about how much it was a takedown and how she owned him or this. It wasn't going to mention or how excellent of a job she did when it was really just kind of a mediocre job because she didn't go to mentioning things like long list of things. Two trillion dollars parked in the Reef facility right now, which is the same thing as forty three million dollars a day being printed to the richest people on the earth. The coupon rate that's been issued, like unprecedented 3% on the 10-year bond to backstop the inversion of the bond yield. 
She didn't talk about TARP, Timothy Geithner, Larry Summers. She didn't talk John, about when do you when do you expect for her to have gotten all of that in? Have you okay, ever okay. have you ever done a media a media show like Bill Maher's? Have you ever been no, in a position no, no. to answer questions in the context of like a seven minute segments being produced uh, for 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 cable news? Well, that's not. I'm talking about her interview. I'm talking about what we talk about after the fact, like us right now. Like nobody's saying okay. that that's why maybe well, I am. To be clear, because- we started by playing the clip and going through her performance. Yes. I got disconnected from Colin before we got very far. We started back up again, and we haven't uh, returned to Crystal's yeah, clip. Please don't take this as a criticism of you personally. I'm talking about leftist content creators writ large. Like the Vanguard had the same exact problem earlier today. You well, know? I heard the Vanguard segment, and I heard them talking substantively. They got a bunch of sources and reaffirmed that Crystal made a very good point about inflation. To wit, I will be interviewing Richard Wolf tomorrow for Thursday's episode, and I'll be asking him to weigh in on Crystal Ball's performance so i do think there are substantive takes i think that the what we would expect from the vanguard boys is a little different than what we'd expect from richard wolf because everyone's limited and everyone has their capacity you know that's no shade to the vanguard but they're fabulous but i also don't expect them to give the same level of discourse as a marxist economist okay but i think they did a good job not just saying she owned Bill Maher, but they said, like, look, to the extent that you don't know who to believe in this exchange, here's a bunch of articles from March of 2020 that validate what she was saying about the econ- the stock market having crashed and needed to be bailed out. And I thought it to be edifying. No? Did you, did you feel differently? Yeah. I just still think that there's this through line of your, the people of your your ilk in this in this space that think that you can go on in perpetuity never learning macroeconomics never learning uh, modern monetary theory never learning monetary policy and in the, the the infinite number of things over which you the left eats itself is because of this abscess of what you know I talk about material well-being of people a lot but you know how if how are you, if you never read Marx, are you going to know that that's only the beginning, that there's people that are even better than Marx that talk about uh, law itself, property itself, and how maybe the surplus, the loss of my surplus value to capital is actually nothing anymore compared to the loss of the rest of it. Like what I keep on my paycheck, the loss of that to various forms of rent extraction and monopolistic price fixing. And you don't think we talk require- about rent extraction the housing market, monopolies. You don't think we cover those Clearly, topics? Anna Kasparian was the only person who I thought spent a proportional amount of time on the housing market and rent extraction. As much as many different problems as I think she has, I was like, oh, at least somebody's saying it out loud because I didn't hear anybody else saying it out loud. And talking about how BlackRock and private so equity... So your, your argument is that if country. I if I read Marx, I would have prioritized doing an episode Not about the housing market not faster than I've currently done it. Maybe, maybe, but the, all this ties back to sort of a just the idea that is it, well, where did I start this on bimboism? The idea of normalizing, not even just normalizing, but almost worshiping people's ignorance, is deeply troubling to me. And as is that TikTok girl that you showed me earlier, and setting the bar low is not how a democracy is going to function. Otherwise, you're un- like. If democracy is a question between the incompetent many versus the corrupt few, well, we've chosen incompetent many. But how incompetent is that many? Like, it's never everybody's job to be a master, to have a master's degree in economics. Okay, but it is everybody's job who's trying to do what you're trying to do past being an entertainer to 
at least touch on that as opposed to talking about what not you know john i i respect your point of view and i'm sorry that you know my law degree is insufficient education for me to be an adequate left spokesperson for you i'm not sure what level of education you think needs to be attained for someone to be articulate to the extent that you want them to be I would offer that person I know. Look, look, John, I would offer that there's different people in the space who play different lanes. And I think that you would be everyone would be much happier instead of expecting me to have the equivalent of a, a, a PhD in macroeconomics to have the wherewithal to have Richard Wolf on the show or Claudia Sam on the show or Fidel Kaboob on the show or Cory Doctor on the show to come talk about these concepts. I don't think it's necessary for me to necessarily be able to wear every hat in the world. I think all that's necessary for me is to be able to identify that these are things that need to be discussed and to have qualified experts on to discuss them. I, I think that it's a it's a projecting the whole my frustration with the entire thing <laughs> on, on your head. Like but that's what it feels like. And to be honest, that I'm is why the bimboification, that's exactly the kind of pressure that we're talking about that makes me want to embrace bimboification because it's exo- there's always going to be someone who's disappointed, who doesn't think I'm smart enough or knowledgeable enough to be in this space. And that's you, completely you fair. Smart, you're smarter than I am. You're more than smart enough. It's just about where, where the focus lies. Oh, I, I, you know? And what I would offer to you is that there are a million things pulling me in every day. I wish I could spend a week learning about the last 60, 100 years of history in Colombia so I could do an episode that is the level of informed that I would love to be. I would love to be able to talk to Richard Wolf tomorrow and be able to ask the kinds of questions that another economist would ask. Although I would argue that my layman perspective positions me better to ask the kinds of questions that other laymen listening to the show want answered. And that, frankly, the problem with a lot of academic discourse is that it's between people who already understand so much that no one can enter the realm of understanding. Sure, his go name ahead. Is, his name is Giannis Verufakis. Yeah, I've interviewed him on this show before. Oh, God. I, I, I will go look that up right now, but He's got a. He can explain these complicated things to anybody. He has a book about how to explain. I know it's on. It's on my bookshelf. It's it's cute and little and blue and white. And I have in fact read it because I've interviewed him on the show and I read the books of the guests that come on the show. But I will tell you what, Giannis Varoufakis is not free to come on every week or every month. If I can get him once or twice a year, I've count myself lucky. I, I would too. And but it's. Again, I'm projecting on you. It's not fair to you. And it's not fair to you that you have to, like, people expect you to be more than a bimbo when they don't expect their neighbors. And it's, but it doesn't change the fact that when I, you know, I read the comments and it's don't see the understanding of even the, the basic level of it about how inflation isn't inflation. Like, if you're trying to sell me something, and your costs go up and you charge me more for the same profit, that's inflation. But if you charge me more for more of your profit, that's just price gouging. And it's like- I mean, look, I think you're being a little uncharitable to the people in the comments. I think the level of understanding from the average bad faith listener, they, they grasp price gouging. Crystal made the argument about price gouging on uh, Bill Maher. We, you know, People like David Sirota are out there beating the drum, talking about price gouging. Um, what's his name? Uh, Matt Stoller. Folks like that. They're very ideologically different. I know people have their thoughts and feelings about Matt Stoller, but have all been kind of ringing the alarm on that. I don't think there's really any leftist. I mean, in the, I would argue the bad faith audience is pretty sophisticated. I don't think there's a bad faith listener 
who isn't aware that this inflation fear mongering is exactly that. I wouldn't be here talking to you if I didn't think that this was above, you know, average, your, your average content and the average audience. Because mm-hmm. otherwise I'd be just talking to the, to the screaming at the sky. Mm-hmm. But again, I guess that's it. Just, I, I know I'm projecting, I know I'm putting too much response, like being too hard, but that's just when you, when you look out there in the world and I live in Iowa and man, it's, it's sad. I can walk down here to the doghouse or whiskey river and hearing people say, how, why should I have to pay for their healthcare? Why should I have to pay for their student loan debt? Like just the, the level of discourse is so unbelievably low. Mm-hmm. It's driving me crazy. And it's not fair that you're uh, who I'm asking to save us all. And I get that, but that's, it's got to well, happen do, or democracy doesn't work. What do you think people are consuming? You know, cause I can say this, but if they're not watching can, YouTube videos, it, there are things that are more complicated than can fit in a tweet. And one of them is, and, and, and some things are engineered to be incomprehensible, like the monetary system, like mm-hmm. seeing how it's not like household accounting, mm-hmm. where are they getting their content? They're getting it from their own life because they think government accounting is like house. Co- you know how many times I heard there's no such thing as a free lunch? So do you, do you think that there absolutely is a free lunch? It happens the, all the time. Right. And I think that's an effective message. I, I, I would argue, and let me tell me if you disagree. I don't expect conservative outlets to say that, but I do expect in a rational world, liberal news media to say that. If I turned on MSNBC, CNN, and there was a conversation about inflation and everyone sounded like Crystal Ball, what Crystal Ball said on Bomar was in no way radical. It's just the basic economic truth. It's very measured, very reasonable. You know, so if, if, if every time inflation came up, there was someone in the room on the panel that made that basic point, well, the economy is not your ha- like your household budget. When they tax you, the money doesn't go into a coffer that's used to pay no, for social programs. It. It's gone. It's just exist. deleted from a balance sheet. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, new money is issued and printed. Too. That's the even more, like, inaccessible one. That we, that when the mortgage is created, that money comes into existence. And when we repay it, it goes out of existence yeah. minus the interest, which is – yeah. come from somewhere, which means there's more money owed than exists. And in a country with a trade deficit, that's a huge problem. Ask Richard Wolf about that. Yeah. And I, and I think that in a world where that kind of messaging was as common on TV as there's no such thing as a free lunch, you would get people who understood that differently. I don't think that that's an incomprehensible notion, right? There Especially if voters who will listen to people like you talk about it if you... Right. You know, and and I agree. And we do. And we do talk about it. And again, I will be interviewing Richard. Part of why I'm like, I, I, I did not you know, know that about Richard Wolf. I would not have yelled at you. So but also he's been on the show twice, at least twice before, you know, so this is because he's not my favorite, you know, like I know what he's going to talk about, which is the loss of capital, the surplus. Value okay. Well, I don't know capital. who, who's, who's your favorite, John? Well, other than, other than Giannis. Other than Giannis, who's been on the show, Claudia Sam has been on the show, Fidel Kaboob's been on the show. I'd love to get Stephanie Kelton, but everyone wants Stephanie Kelton, uh, and we Ray, haven't Ray had Ray Dalio, Darius Dale, anybody from Real Vision, which is a YouTube channel, anybody from Blockworks Macro, which is a YouTube that, channel. Darius who? Darius Dale. He runs 42 Macro. You know, these, these people who run these funds, despite being parasites and vultures, actually have a refreshingly apolitical view of how money works because when your own skin is in the game, you can't afford to be an ideologue. Can you? Cause it's going to, they are, they're they always ready more than anybody else I've ever seen to take all of their previously held beliefs and throw them into the fire. It's amazing. I've never seen a person like that except for these guys, because when they find a better way, a better macro, a better way of looking at the world that makes the world make more sense, they'll toss everything in the fire and adopt the new one. It's yeah. incredible. Well, look, I, I, I take those suggestions and I genuinely appreciate them. 
and I expect you might be, well, you know, pleased to hear time. them on the show going forward. Thank you for calling in, John. Thank you for talking to me. All right. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let me read some of these comments from the YouTube. Um, uh, Kablasian says, ask John how to fix the California housing crisis. That's not his responsibility, but he's right. We should do a housing deep dive. We did a housing episode with um, Sia um, and our um, – um, oh, sorry, Sia Weaver, Sia Weaver back in the, I don't know, last summer at some point, but when we were doing, when the, the housing moratorium was about to expire, but it was mostly about the housing moratorium. And you're right, we're well overdue. I mean, there needs to be like a, a month of housing episodes. It's not even something that can be handled in, in an episode. Um, so there's that. I want to bring in another questioner, but look, I feel bad for the YouTube audience because they missed most of our conversation about um, the crystal ball conversation. So I'm going to play a little bit more of this audio and respond and then wrap at nine. So, okay, let's go. U.S. production. Okay. U.S. production is up. Well, it will be at record levels next year. Okay, well, the fossil fuel companies themselves are flush with cash, but will not invest in new drilling because they would la- rather give it no. to their okay. shareholders. Okay, all right, That's wait. the truth of what's well, happening. Well, here's the, here's the truth. I mean, I just read it today. In 2020, Biden said no more drilling on federal lands. No more. Uh, no look, Keystone I'm, Pipeline. Yeah, no. Oh, okay, and I'm not saying And, and also and, and antagonizing I, Saudi Arabia. Oh, now he's going on. back to Saudi Arabia oh, hat in hand. Wait, 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 let us finish just oh, what we're all right, saying. All right. And then you can shit up. Well, and, and, uh, <laughs> he was such an asshole to her. Can I tell if you missed that, you know, Crystal wanted to respond to the incorrect talking point. Yeah, Biden promised a lot during the campaign trail. He didn't do any of that. Also, what is your argument here that we shouldn't have, that we should have always been conciliatory to Saudi Arabia despite Khashoggi, despite, I don't know, 9-11? Like, what, what is this guy's actual argument here? Because if it were, were a conservative, you know, if, if Joe Biden had said, I love Saudi Arabia from the jump, there would have been criticisms for that because it was doing an anti-patriotism. So Crystal goes to respond to the vo- verbal diarrhea this other guest does. Bill Maher stops her and says, like, we'll let you, you know, like, it's so patronizing. You know, you let, let him finish and then we'll let you shit all over it. Like, he's already preemptively saying he doesn't give a, give a damn what she says. And this is what she's up against this entire time. But let's keep going. Antagonizing the Saudis well, with, his, with his Iran well, deal yes, policy. So- and now he's going back to them hat in hand to get them to increase their production. But I bet you're in so favor of the Russian oil ban. Uh, because... Yeah, the yeah. Saudis are well, great Russia humanitarians. Is, Russia is raping a country the, right now. Yeah, and the Saudi Saudis Arabia. are amazing humanitarians. No, I don't I mean, say because, that. Because <laughs> Russia is raping a country right now. Saudi Arabia, though, totes my goats, all in, big allies. By the way, this was the subject of one of my radars last week, if you want to you know, send something to your uncle or whatever. Okay. Yeah, there are allies. There are allies. So listen, okay. but hold but- Well, instead of... Let's just talk about why these things really happen. Yes. Because people think that they can. We, look, I, I wish we were all off fossil fuels forever. Sure. But the, the truth is that when people get off fossil fuels before they have a replacement, they wind up going back to even worse fossil fuels. Germany said, we don't want nuclear power yep. anymore. Yep. Which That's is true. the cleanest. Yep. That's true. And what did they have to go back to? Coal. And Russian and then, gas. And basically yeah. the same thing happened here. We said... Saudi Arabia, go fuck yourself, you killed a journalist. And now Biden is going over there, hat in hand, begging them for oil because people want their gas. Which is pathetic. And by the way, the only issue with oil is not just supply and demand, because as I was just saying, 
We actually have a fairly <laughs> As I was just saying, I hear your shade, Crystal, as I was just saying. It isn't at, you know, extraordinarily low levels if you look at the recent past. We don't have an extraordinary amount of demand. We're not even back to pre-pandemic levels. You do have a massive amount of Wall Street speculation that is also causing an increase in gas prices. Yeah. So, again, this is what I'm saying, that the gouging. only people who are talking about and that, some people and are, there's a lot of price gouging. There's a lot of gouging. So, you asked whether... always depend on them to gouge. You asked whether Biden is not pandering to the left enough for too much or whatever. This, the left are the only ones talking about those issues, about the fact that you have monopolies that have jacked up prices far above what they need to because they can, because they can use the excuse of ex- inflation. And CEOs are bragging on earnings calls I mean, about how they've lifted prices okay. the, and gouged consumers, right, and ask, we're not doing anything about it. Can I ask another question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I'm sorry, Crystal, on that point, Bill Maher has absolutely no intellectual curiosity for a follow-up question. He doesn't know what to say about anything that he already doesn't have prepared talking points on because he has no, like, ideological compass at this point, right? So if Crystal says something, he doesn't have a sense of, like, what the right take is on it. He just lets it lie there. It doesn't direct the audience. And, like, she she is left feeling like she didn't just make a completely valid and excellent point because she's getting no validation from the group and the crowd, you can hear them like nervously, not even knowing how to react. They're following Bill Maher's lead, which is why it's so irresponsible for him as a host, in my view, as a host, to allow his guests to get railroaded like that. But Crystal, all poise and preparedness, handles it like a champ. Okay, let's keep going. So Andrew Solomon this week was talking about, if okay, if Biden does step down or say he's going to step down, then the Democrats have, I mean, we've all noticed this, a problem like but who? Right. And he mentioned, who is there, Bill Clinton, who's going to come along? And I thought, okay, well, Clinton and Obama, obviously the last two successful Democrats. Is, is there a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama out there? Or is such a broadly centrist Democrat no longer even really okay, possible? I'm going to skip ahead because nobody we, cares about this. Is so Oprah going to be president? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. Being it is a joke. Okay. There's another good section right here. Katie's back in the chat. For days. Katie invited you up. This Washington Post story had such Actually, you know what? We'll do. I think that's. I can't find the section. So that's all for for Bill Maher. I hope that satisfies the people in the chat because I know the title of the YouTube video was that I was going to talk about Bill Maher. If you want to see the earlier conversation, log in to call in and watch the beginning of this episode. That'll be call in exclusive content. I'll read this comment from D Blues Guy. Creators like you, Katie Crystal, do so much to educate and share ideas and opinions in a selfless manner. The previous caller's critique frustrates me. You know, uh, but he makes a point. Sometimes it's hard to hear that you could be doing better. And I appreciate people who offer that advice, especially if they constructively give me options for guests to have on the show and to edify myself. So I can't promise I'm going to read any books because, you know, I'm a bimbo. But I will um, I will bring on some more guests. Um Tito Bandito says, why not form a show with Katie as often as agreed upon called Useful Faith to provide voters with honest, critical dialogue combined with solid policy discourse to maximize her political voice. Katie, should we start yet another show? We've got to do it, yeah. We are stronger. What is it? Some is greater than the sum of its parts. Look, I'm with it. If we can find the time in the day, especially Colin makes these things so easy. I would love to have a sparring partner that is as informed and funny and like who gets it the way that you do. Yeah. Right back um, at 
<laughs> so, well, let's let's put our heads together on that one and let's bring up let's see. I did want to talk to who was it in the chat? Uh Fayola. What's on your mind this evening? Unmute yourself and talk to us. Hello? Hey Fayola. Hi. Okay. I just had um I think the, 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 the last caller, oh, some, I guess the chat is begging for Tara Reed to come on. So I'm just going to make this one point. Um, I think Ryan Grimm had, Ryan Grimm, yes, had a article in the Intercept last week that mm-hmm. I think, I think kind of speaks to everything that I've seen happen on this call tonight, mm-hmm. which is just the left's problem. I think what he tapped on is, just a total intolerance of people not already knowing what we think we know. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about the transgender questions that people are asking. And the, the overall reaction I feel is that people think you should already know this. Oh my God. Like, sex with a genre like you know so like it's it's so when people ask the questions there's this pile on that you don't already know the answer and that you don't already know what causes inflation or you don't already know ADOS means like it's just all these things <laughs> that I feel ADOS, the ADOS folks will get you fail be careful <laughs> we'll come for I you <laughs> I have been got by them that's why I, Oh, on Hospital. Juneteenth too, Fiola. The ADOS, we will gather you on Juneteenth. <laughs> right. So like, there was this, I was in this Twitter conversation back in, when I used to go back and forth on Twitter, where this, I think she was like a, a, a Grenadian girl. Mm-hmm. Um, no, she wasn't Grenadian. She was American, but her parents were Grenadian. Mm-hmm. So she was like, and I an American descendant of slavery. Mm-hmm. And they were like on top of her. Right. <laughs> and I, I was like, I didn't understand it because I had not heard the term before. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just listening, American descendant of slavery. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yes. I was like, yes, you are. <laughs> you are an American. <laughs> and you are descendant of slavery because even if your parents are Grenadian, they are descendants of enslaved people. So, mm-hmm. yes. And then there was just pile on. And like, you know, like, get massa off my back. And these definitions. And like, it's, it was really intense. Mm-hmm. So even if people, I feel like even within us, that creates a lot of infighting. Mm-hmm. So that's what the article was about, that there's so many movements or so many organizations right now on the left that Mm -hmm. should be pressuring Biden right now Mm -hmm. that are impotent now because they are dealing with internal struggles and infighting based on that inability to allow each other not to know as much as we want, Mm -hmm. you know? I just wanted to add. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's part of what was so appealing about Sam Aller Bell's definition of wokeness, that there was that piece of it that was a presumption that folks already know and a yeah. kind of la- lack of tolerance for people who might be figuring it out. Now, 
I think in defense, I think there is a defensiveness about all of this because there are so many bad faith actors that hide behind a, a kind of a faux ignorance. Like, sure. what is a woman? Like, no. Like, you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? So right. it can be confusing to differentiate who's asking those questions in good faith and who isn't, especially when there seems to be so much at stake. And so I appreciate why certain people in the trans community or elsewhere have very limited tolerance for folks asking questions, you know. And yeah. I will say even within the ADOS space, there are so many people who know perfectly well. I'm not saying this is you, feel, you know, feel obviously, mm-hmm. but. There's so many people in the ADOS space who know perfectly well what is meant by, you know, ADOS mm-hmm. and who are, you know, spend a lot of time diminishing the specific advocacy in the United States of America, you know, for North, you know, American, United States of American descendants of slaves to advocate for reparations, reparations. from our government who enslaved us, right? right? You know, that, you know, so people are going to get sensitive about it because there have been hijinks <laughs> mm, and there have been okay. bad faith actors. And so I don't know what the answer is. Maybe we'll have Ryan on to talk about it if you guys don't revolt because I know how y'all are. You, I can't do I can't take you guys anywhere. Um, but maybe I'll bring uh, Ryan on to talk about his article perhaps um, for next Monday's episode. We'll see what his availability is, because I do think it's something that it's worth continuing to talk about, especially since, you know, even Ryan and I have a how to art falling out about these divisive issues on the left over the force of vote stuff. And I'm very grateful that we were able to get through it. And I hope I'm able to get through it with Chank and some others as well, but none of us are immune. Can I just say very quickly that we may, we may or may not be having a guest talk about Ryan's article on this week's useful idiots. So stand by. Excellent. Excellent. And I hope you guys are all subscribed to, you know, Katie's show to useful idiots and also here on call in, Katie and Aaron do a Monday morning review of the, the of the Sunday morning shows. And yeah. I find it to be very edifying so that I don't have to watch all the clips. So you should yeah. be subscribed to Useful Idiots here on Colin as well. Thank you and for my the show. recommendation. And yeah. I have my own show too, which usually happens Tuesday nights after my live stream, right after. So at around eight here. Yeah. Okay, okay, fabulous. So, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. And it's yeah, of course, Fela. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling Taylor, in. Where no. are you from? Where are you from? Because I'm from I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad, okay, that's what some people yeah. thought in the chat. All right, yeah. okay, perfect. Okay, now I hate to end this call, and I really would like to talk to Tara Reed, who it has been made aware. <laughs> I've been made aware. There's a lot of agitation for in the call, but Tara, I don't want to give you short shrift. I I don't want to cut you off, and I this sounds sounds very anti-solidaristic, but I do have a 9:30 dinner reservation, so I've got to run. So we started the show a little bit earlier today. Um, but Tara, if you call back in, um, on Thursday, I will take you up immediately. Uh, and maybe we can come on by faith and we can have a more substantive conversation point blank period. Um, cause we were long overdue for having that as a reminder, subscribe to this, subscribe to bad faith, share everything like the video on YouTube, even if you've already watched it or listened to it, um, uh, as a subscriber, we love if you would be a subscriber for $5 a month at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast. But if you can just give us a thumbs up on video and help the algorithm. I also did a long form um, commentary on, you know, the stuff that's going on with Chank and some of the criticism around my Tucker Carlson Raider on Katie's show. You should definitely go and watch that and like that and support her show and like all of her content as well. Uh, thank you. Take care of yourselves and Bye, keep the faith. As I queue up an out, outro song that I forgot to do. Okay, here we go. Keep. <laughs>
<laughs> God damn it. Not a cartoon for St. June's. I'm sorry, kid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You